Welcome to day three together of our look at the book of Exodus, week five. This is chapter 23 we'll be looking at. We've been looking at principles of freedom throughout this book. And one of the principles we've come to again and again in these later chapters is you've got to watch out for the little things. If you're going to live in freedom, you've got to watch out for the little things. It could be the little irritations of life, but it also can be the routine of life. That's often where we lose our freedom in Christ because we depend on ourselves rather than depending on him. And this chapter, chapter 23, actually, it's, it's a chapter of the law, but it has some awesome and powerful direction for you and I about how to live in freedom day to day. The law teaches us here how to handle the little things, how to handle your day, how to handle your week, how to handle your year, how to handle your life in such a way that you're looking forward to freedom on a regular basis. Let's look through those. Number one, how to handle your day. Jesus told us that the most important thing you can do with your day is to love God, and the second greatest thing you can do is to love people. And there is a lot in the law about how to do both of those. Practical truths about what it looks like to love God, what it looks like to love people. For instance, the law tells us that you love God by not having idols, other things that are more important than him. You love God by not using his name in a meaningless way. I mean, these may seem like little things or big things to you, but this is God's direction for what works to keep us loving him in a day-by-day-by-day way. That's how you handle your day. There's also much in the law, starting in the last chapter we saw some of it, there's much in the law about how to treat people, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me read for you Exodus 23, verses 1 to 9. And listen, just hear with me all that it says about how to love people. Beginning in verse 1. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help him with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the righteous. Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. What a list. We talk about love your neighbor as yourself. The law has a lot about how to do that. Here, just in this few verses, don't spread false reports. Don't be a gossip. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. We tell that to our kids. Don't do what everybody else is doing. This is a reminder to us as adults. Don't side with the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. Think like Jesus instead. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. It says here, even help people who hate you. The donkey of somebody who hates you is a burden under its, even help them. Don't deny justice to poor people. Don't accept bribes. Bribes blind you. Don't oppress an alien. I love that word. It makes us feel like a Martian, somebody from Venus. An alien to them was somebody from another country. These are the actions of integrity, actions that express the character of God in my relationships with people. That's how you handle your day. However you feel, you love God. You love others. And here's some directions for how to do it. This chapter also talks about how do you handle your week. In verse 10 to 12, for six years, you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do not do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. 
Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. This is about the Sabbath. How do you handle your week? Take one day for a Sabbath. And notice it says here, not just for you, but for those in your household. Those of you that have a family, not just for you, but for everybody else in your family. Those of you that run a business, not just for you, but everyone else in your business. In fact, as we started, there's a kind of a Sabbath even for your fields. One year out of seven, just let the field lie fallow. Don't let anything grow on it. Let it have a Sabbath. Now, we know now that agriculturally that's good for a field, but that's also the way God designed things to remind us that personally that's good for us. One day out of seven, we rest. Now, why? Is God's reasoning here just merely natural? Is it just about botany and biology? There's a spiritual reason here too. To rest was a sign of trust. Trust in the work of God. Now, unless you've been a farmer or herdsman, as most of them were that first read this, you can't appreciate what trust it takes to celebrate a day of rest. I mean, what if the Sabbath were on the only clear day that you had that week, but you couldn't work in your fields? What if you've allowed a field to lie fallow for a year and yet you've, you've got a hungry family and you think, how much more food could I get out of that? Until you've done those kinds of things, you can't ex- appreciate the trust it takes to rest. But you have other things. You have work that needs to get done. You have projects that need to get finished. You have dreams that need to get realized. So why does God say to take a day of rest? That day you're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you more than my own energy and strength. A Sabbath rest is a Sabbath trust. To rest from your work is to trust in his work. It's to say, God, I need your work in me just as much as I need to work for you. How do you handle your week? Take one day out of seven and make it a Sabbath rest. That doesn't just mean a day off. That means a day where I rest and I focus on who God really is. I trust. That's how you handle your day. That's how you handle your week. And then this chapter also talks about how do you handle your year? Verse 14 to 17. Three times a year, you're to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one's to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the Feast of Harvest with the first fruits of your crops you sow in the field, Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. Three times a year, all men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. He gives them here in their year three feasts to celebrate. First, the feast of unleavened bread. That's the feast where they ate the Passover, usually occurred in March or April. Then secondly, the feast of harvest. This was also sometimes called the feast of weeks. That's where you would celebrate the day of Pentecost. And then third, the feast of ingathering. This is also sometimes called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it was the Day of Atonement that was celebrated during this feast. One during March and April, one during May and June, one during September and October. Feasting is a part of God's plan for people throughout the year. It's important to note as you read through the Old Testament that both fasting and feasting are part of God's relationship with his people. The fast of commitment and the feast of rejoicing. You need both in your life. And here we're talking about feasts. The feasts here foreshadow the joy that we have in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these feasts that we've just looked at. He is our Passover. 
He is our harvest. He was celebrated on the day of Pentecost. He is our atonement. Even under the law, though, there was this, there was this joyousness in God's relationship to his people, a shadow of what was to come in the joy they celebrated in the feasts. Today, we have celebrations like Christmas and Easter that remind us of who Jesus really is. And God's reminding us here, you need those kinds of times in your life, just where you sit back and relax and celebrate who God is in your life. Take time to do that. These feasts, most of them took about a week. Take some time to celebrate. Here, it's three times a year. Two, three times a year. How are you taking time in your year to celebrate who God is? You build those times of celebration into your year to remind you of who God is in your life. And you don't do it legalistic. I've got to do it at this time. I've got to do it in this way. But you do it because you know how God's designed you. I need to celebrate who he is. How you handle your day, how you handle your week, how you handle your year. This chapter also talks about how you handle your life. Listen to verses 28 to 30. God says regarding what's going to happen as they take the promised land. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. How do you handle your life? You realize this principle in these verses. God says, I've got a promise I want to accomplish in your life, the promised land but it's gonna happen little by little. One of the keys to understanding how we deal with the circumstances and problems that seem to be in the way of our freedom, in the way of God's dream for our lives, is recognizing that God will usually not deal with it immediately or even quickly. It'll be little by little. Now, why? Why doesn't he do it just immediately? Well, for the Israelites, the land would have become desolate. They weren't ready yet to take over the land. For us, because he's working to set you free. He's not working to do something immediate and microwave. He's working to change you at the deepest core of who you are. And in order to do that, it is a little by little lifetime process of growth. Now that frustrates me sometimes. I'm sure it frustrates you sometimes too. These verses remind me, one of the ways to handle my life is to remember that even when it doesn't seem to me that God is working, he is working, but it's little by little because he's working for something greater than I could imagine. Not the immediate, but the whole of what he wants to do in my life and your life. Let's pray together. Lord, handle our day well, to love you, to love others. Help us to handle our week well, to take that day, that day of rest, that day of trust. Help us to handle our year well, to give ourselves those times of celebration, and help us to handle our life well trusting you for the little by little growth. And Lord, we need patience, so we ask you for patience. We need grace, we ask you for grace. Help us to see that you're working even when we don't see that you're working. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Tomorrow we're going to look together at seven truths to refresh your experience of worship.